you ever feel that God is invisible? That he is absent from the world? That he might not be active right now? Do you ever wonder how we should act in a world where others seem more powerful? Where governments seem to be in total control? Where God's people get sidelined? Did you know there's a Bible book all about that? Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing my sermon series from the book of Esther. Esther's a book where God's name doesn't even come up once. But when we look carefully, God is extremely active. It's a book with conspiracies, uh, misuse of power, supposed coincidences, relationships and far more. Are you intrigued? Well, let's dive in, shall we? So Esther, chapter 9, verse 20 to chapter 10, verse 3. Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, that they should celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote to them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pur, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back to on his own head and that he and his son should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days were called poem from the word poor. Because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance, to establish these days of Purim at their designated times as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim and is written down in the records. King Xerxes imposed tributes throughout the empire to his distant shores. And all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Remember, remember, the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plots. I see no reason why gunpowder, treason should ever be forgot. Yeah, that rhyme? Memory is an important thing, isn't it? Remembering what has happened in the past 
enables us to live well in the present. Well, that's the story of Guy Fawkes. Don't try and blow up Parliament. Uh, the wedding anniversary, don't forget that. Uh, the birthday, we know, don't we, that events, remembering events is an important thing to do. And that is where Esther finishes. That's where the book of Esther finishes. And so as we come to the end of this book tonight, we want to be asking ourselves, why? Why does Esther finish here? Why is this the big lesson of the book of Esther? See, the author of Esther thinks that remembering the story of Esther is going to help God's people going forwards. So what do we miss when, as most story versions of Esther, miss this punchline? Why do we need to remember the story of Esther? Well, it's because in the world missing God, it is so easy to forget. In the world missing God, it's so easy to forget. In this world that's missing God, it can be hard to remember that God is for his people. In this world missing God, it can feel like we're on our own. In this world, missing God, our focus can get stuck in the moment and we just can't move beyond it. We were made to live in a world that has rhythm to it, to have regularity to it, to be constantly reminded because humanity is forgetful. And if you feel forgetful tonight, here's the great news. Our creator knows that. God knows us. And so he gives us things to help us remember. And the book of Esther is one of those things. You see, throughout the Bible, God's people are called to remember. Here's one from Deuteronomy, particularly apt to what's going on in Esther, actually. Deuteronomy 25, 19. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And then these three words, do not forget. The story of Esther came about because the people forgot. God knows just how easily his people forget. And that's the same premise here in Esther. In fact, the people notice they've just received rest. And this time, they've actually blotted out the name of Amalek, Haman the Agagite, and his seed. He is from the seed of Amalek. And so what should they do next? Well, what shouldn't they do next? They shouldn't forget. And that's what happens. Have a look at verse 20. We're told that Mordecai recorded all these events and he emphasised keeping an annual celebration, that the people were to continue, verse 23, continue the celebration they'd begun. So you go, it's important, but why? Well, Esther gives us three reasons why we, sh- why we could forget And they're not the kind of reasons you might assume. Three subtle ways that we might forget that we find today in our world too. And here's the first one. It's that the story can always be told another way. Have a look with me at verses 24 to 28. See, in these verses, we get a record of what was written uh, to the people. And it's really quite interesting. Let me read these verses for us. And just think what's missing as I read them. Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the purr, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his son should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days were called poem from the word purr. 
because of everything in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family in every province and every city. And these days of poem should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out from their descendants. What's missing? You see, as a summary of the book of Esther, I mean, those verses, they cover the most salient details, don't they? Yeah, they're lacking. Our commentators go all funny about this, about this being a later addition to the book, as if the author hadn't really thought about it before sticking it in. But that's because if you compare what's written there with what we've been reading for the past six months, you'll notice just how brief it is. In fact, just notice what is missing. There's no mention of Esther. You'd think she'd be a big part of the summary. No. Uh, There's no mention of Mordecai. Uh, The whole strategy of the story here is summed up as when the king heard, the king dealt with it. The Jewish people just have a quaint little tradition and that is what goes into the history books. What would happen then if God's people didn't remember? In this case, what's written here is what would be remembered. This is what would be recorded down. This is what the kids would learn in history class. This is what the people would see. The king heard, the king dealt with it. Xerxes is amazing, it's job done. As we've worked our way through this book of Esther, we've seen the author making this very point, recording things in a certain way that makes you question, leaving God's name out of the book to make us think hard about the story. Because in this world that's missing God, the story can always be told another way. As we miss God from the headlines, Esther reminds us you can always tell the story another way. And so we must, we must remember. In the story of exile, the story these people in Esther were living uh, could be explained as the Babylonians were the most powerful people around. Their God rules over everything. They crushed the puny Jews. Could be. I mean, if you go to the British Museum, that's what it says, basically. Nothing about rebellion against their creator. Nothing about promises being kept, taking them into exile. Nothing about promises coming. Now, the story of the church could be told like this. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus. And a most mischievous superstition, thus I'll check for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their centre and become popular. I mean, if you're a history student, you'd know Tacitus is the guy we get most of our history from, from the Roman times. I mean, there's nothing there, is there, about the culmination of salvation history? There's nothing there about God the Son becoming the Son of God, dying, rising, being seated with the right hand of God, coming again to judge the living and the dead, is there? See, in this world, there's always going to be other ways to tell the story. And if we don't deliberately remember, we will easily forget. Oh, they say, don't they, what is known by one generation is assumed by the next generation and is forgotten by the next. I mean, that's the story of Israel, really, isn't it? See, remembering this festival, remembering the story of Esther, makes sure that these lessons learned in exile are not lost on future members of the remnant. Deliverance must always be appreciated, recalled, recited, reapplied to every generation. Because the story can always be told another way. But secondly, 
we must remember because events can always seem out of control. Have a look at verse 26. Therefore, these days are called poem from the word pur. What's the deal with that? The word pur means lots, doesn't it? It's a festival named after the lots that Haman cast. Look at verse 24. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagites, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pur, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. When you think about it, it's an odd name for the festival. Remember, as you name this festival, the instrument that nearly wiped the entirety of the people out. That's the point. Esther, in verses 29 to 32, works hard to establish these days, specifically calling them poem, because in them, in stating that name, there is a great reminder. So in assigning God's people's fate to the lots, it was as if Haman was taunting the Jews with a thought of whether they're going to live or die was not up to God who's in charge, but up to cold, blind fate. Cold, hard chance. And when you think about that world, it's a terrifying place to live. What would happen to God's people then if they forgot? They don't remember. Well, they'd slip into this way of thinking. But in this remembering that people take that word, the word for lots, and they remember every year that God is in charge. It's Purim. Oh, yes. Even those things are in the hand of my God. I mean, Proverbs tells us this. Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You can either see life as out of control, dictated by cold, hard chance. I mean, that is the way some people do write the story. Or you could remember and see that God has his hand over it all. You can see this world as being pitilessly indifferent. Or you can see it as God working out his plans for his people's good. So easy to forget that, isn't it? To be stuck in the middle of suffering and pain and assume that God is nowhere to be seen. The book of Esther wants us to see, wants us to remember that that is not the case. As David says in Psalm 30, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And so Esther sends this letter out, verse 30, as words of goodwill and assurance, that is words of peace, of shalom, and words of truth. She's saying, in this world that's missing God, it is not cold, hard chance. The world is ruled by an almighty creator who holds his people at all times. She says peace. She says shalom. That is a complete ordering of life. Everything in its right place. A full orbed completeness. And she says there's truth. There is biblical truth that speaks through the lies. As she sends out that letter, that is what she wants to remind her people about. That in this world, you can have Peace like that. Peace in all situations if you remember that God is in charge and he will bring you home. You can hear the truth, the truth that things are not out of control, breaking through the lies that this world is spinning. In this world, missing God, things can seem out of control. And if we don't remember, then that's what we're going to be tempted to think. But if we do remember, then we'll know that God is in charge and we can trust him even in the hardest of times. And finally, we need to remember because things can always go back to the way they were. You know the TV show uh, where things start? 
something dramatic happens, and then the show ends and things are back to normal. I mean, that's Downton Abbey, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the classic TV show plot until things like Netflix popped up. Uh, it was called episodic. That's the official term, instead of serial. That's the way TV people speak about it anyway. The idea being that you could just turn on the TV, see an episode of something, and not need to know what happened last week in order to enjoy the show. You know what I mean? Simpsons, that kind of thing. In many ways, life can be like that. In fact, as we've worked our way through Esther, we've seen that things repeat themselves, haven't we? And here in these final three verses of Esther, we have this scene. And it looks like, you could sum up as, they lived happily ever after. But if we've learned the lesson from Esther, we actually see that they've actually gone back to the way they were before. Have a look at verse one. Such an odd verse. King Xerxes imposed tribute, that is taxes, throughout the empire to its distant shores. That's a really weird way to finish a story, isn't it? Now they lived happily ever after. Oh, and the taxes went up. I mean, maybe not that weird in our current financial climate, is it? But these taxes, they were removed from the people back in chapter two. Just as Queen Esther was selected, the king ordered the taxes. But now he's putting them back on again. It's as if we've reverted back to the world of Esther chapter one. And in verse two, this, this information about Mordecai is, is good news, isn't it? Uh, his power, his might, his being second in command. It's good news, especially compared to who was in that role before. And if we're returning to Esther 1 territory, I mean, how secure is Mordecai's position really? Ah, but at least the records have been made, eh? Ah, but wait a minute, uh, who reads those? Well, we know the king doesn't, unless he can't get to sleep. What would happen if God's people don't remember them? Well, they would see this thing here about Mordecai as a solution to all their problems, and they'd forget about God. If we think that the world has improved, we're falling into the trap that Esther wants us to avoid. And we remember that what has happened before, we remember and we keep looking forward. You see, the language of those three verses, if you read Genesis, is very reminiscent of Joseph in Egypt. Uh, Joseph, who was in a very similar position to Mordecai here, almost word for word. And that was great. Until you turn the page to Exodus... Then a new king, whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. And the last time that someone like Saul was in power, well, it started well, didn't it? But it failed spectacularly. In fact, that language there, verse 2, was used of Haman back in chapter 5. I mean, how secure is this really? Mordecai could easily lose his position on the whim of the king. Have we seen that happen before in Esther? Xerxes has a, a knack for doing that, doesn't he? And let's face it, even if that didn't happen, well, Mordecai is not going to live forever. The temptation to forget when things are good is a perennial problem for God's people. We read that text from Deuteronomy earlier. And that story, it ends with Israel as they're enjoying God's blessing, forgetting God and turning from him. And we can do just the same. We can forget in the tough times that God is there and in the good times as well. So we must remember we need to not settle for less than what God has promised. You see, the rest that the people have here is great, but it's not the ultimate rest that God has promised. Uh, the king they have ruling over them is a far cry from the ultimate king God has promised. Xerxes is still King Headache. And Mordecai is great, but he's like Saul. He's not the son of David that the people are waiting for. 
If the people forget, they're going to lose track of God's promises. If we forget, we might settle in this world for something less than God has promised. The book of Esther demonstrates the need for a greater reversal yet, one that's going to result in the coming of the true king, the prince of peace whose reign will never end. In this world missing God, the world always goes back to the way it was. If you want more proof of that, read the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we must remember, we must remember the story of Esther to remember that in the highs and in the lows, God is still at work to keep his promises. God will help his people no matter where they're scattered throughout this world. So this evening, remember, remember the book that's called Esther. How do believers keep on going? Well, they remember. They must remember. How did God's people keep going as Persia was succeeded by the next world power, Rome? They remembered. How did the disciples keep on going as their Messiah was hanging on a tree? They remembered. How did the early church keep going as Saul persecuted them? They remembered. The churches in Revelation, how do they keep going? They needed to remember. How do believers today and the highs and lows of life in a world missing God continue? They remember. We need to hold on to this message of the book of Esther, that in a world where the story can be told another way, in which things can appear to be totally out of control, in where history repeats itself going backwards and forwards, we need to remember. Yeah, we don't need poem for that, do we? We have a far better story of deliverance to remember. What does Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So remember, remember the book that's called Esther, a story of God underneath. I see no reason why God's hand in history should ever be forgot. Thank you so much for listening. Any feedback or questions can be sent to podcast at david-couch.com and I'll catch you again next time.